In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. As I think of the responsibility, there's a weight that's naturally looked upon us that some of us are aware of and we don't even know it. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is for you to become your best by calling you in to the arena of manhood, calling you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and calling you up to your absolute best version of you. Because when you get it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena Podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and as you heard of that deep baritone voice in the background, I'm here with our co-host, good friend Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? Doing amazing, Jimmy. Oh, amazing, Jimmy. Hmm. Mm. My mom calls me that. My wife calls me that. And some ex-girlfriends used to call me that. But I guess I'll let you call me yeah, that. Yeah, your sidekick. So when I become a Pentecostal preacher, I'm going to go by Jimmy. Jimmy. Yep, for Jimmy sure. Jimmy the preacher. Yep, there we go. Hey, I'm excited about our <laughs> podcast. So we got a guy on here. He's a younger dude. This guy's like solid. He wrote a great book called Fatherless. And uh, he's got he's got some wisdom beyond his years. I'm really really excited about this podcast and what he's going to bring because we live in a generation of, of fatherless uh, young men, and I think he brings something really strong to the table. So I'm really really excited about this. But before we bring him on, do you have a man word for me today? I do. I'm going to guess it. Okay. <laughs> and you already told me it's not fatherless. And so I'm not going to guess fatherless. Not gonna, you've even said this in podcasts that this is a attribute that women have and not necessarily men. Oh, okay. I'm going to say the man word today is integrity. A woman word? You said it's a woman or a man word. Well, it's mostly you would use it for Did women. Did you say that or not? Oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> is it integrity or not? Okay. So <laughs> the word is nurture. Oh, gosh. Yeah, because you, you would say that women are nurturers, whereas men are hunters and protectors, correct? But the definition of it is to feed and protect, to nurture one's offspring. So I'm sitting here today. I kept trying to push this out of my head today when I was thinking about it. And I'm thinking about the little five-year-old dude in the backseat of the car. And I, there, are, there are times where you might be harsh on him, but there's also times that you nurture that spirit in him so that he grows up to be a caring young man. Okay, I'll, I'll let you have that word as a man Thank word, barely. You. Well, I think of it this way. I think you've got the, the soft hand, you know, the, the, the palm side of the hand is the soft hand of love. I would call that grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, those oh, five fingers yes. of grace. But the backhand of God's love is what I call wrath, wreaking righteous anger towards humanity. And I think the way men nurture their children is way different than women. Right. Where women come at it with a soft side, and men do too. 
Don't get me wrong. There is that time, but I think men also bring, especially with their boys, we bring a, a maybe a harshness that women typically don't bring. Well, now we don't we don't bring that with women, but we allow our our boys to be more reckless. Yeah, he jumps off yeah. the couch throwing a kick and a fist yeah. and like I'm gonna kill you, Dad. And then it ends up in huggle hugs and, yeah. and all that stuff. But you do beat each other. Well, up. when my kids would get in fights or crash on their bike and be bloody mom won't go to the hospital we would take selfie pictures we take selfies and post them on social media this happened yesterday and he so, jumped out of the car and skinned up his hands yeah that's awesome like, kids are bleeding it's not bleeding that much get in the house you're good nurture baby <laughs> now if it's your daughter it's different daughters it's different yeah, come oh here, the baby. little princess okay. yeah so we nurture differently i think because right men and women boys and girls are different right. and dads and moms are different and so hey I, i'm excited about that you have a review uh, shout out today Hey, this guy actually left his name, so I'll share. This is Dan Hughes, and he is a guy. I know Dan. Yeah, you met him in Albany. I did meet him. Yes, at the conference there in New York. Yep. So uh, thanks for the shout-out, Dan. I will hook up with you since I have your information, and we want to send you some swag. Yeah, after my Men on the Roof uh, keynote, he actually went back to his church, and they changed their whole men's ministry to Men on the Roof. I like it. So shout-out to uh, Dan Hughes and his church and his men's ministry, Men on the Roof. So that's exciting, man. So, hey, I'm going to bring our guest on today, man. He's a... Sitting in the Georgia sun with his AC on in his car. I think it's probably getting a little humid. It's pretty quick here in Georgia. Anyway, this is my new friend. Oh, hey, I'm sorry, Florida. Florida. For some reason, I thought you lived in Georgia, Keith. Mm. Okay, my bad. Hey, so Keith <laughs> is thir- <laughs> <gets> hot. <laughs> it's the same heat, right? It is the same. Yeah. Oh, man. Hey, I'm bringing my new friend, Keith Collins. He's 31 years old. He lives in Weston, Florida with his wife of seven years, Stanya. 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 Love it. Uh, he's the author of the book, Fatherless, What I Wish I Knew as a Young Boy, Learning to Become a Man in a Fatherless Culture. Man, I'm excited to bring him on right now. So, uh, Keith, how you doing, my man? Man, I'm doing fantastic. Can't complain. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. We're going we're gonna to just uh, get right into this podcast, and we're going to throw you into our rapid fire round. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Um I hope I don't have to dodge anything because <laughs> it's fires. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you what. You might have to dodge a few because because of your youthful age of 31, I picked a round that the old guys would suffer under. Uh, it's called the youth versus wisdom round. So I've never okay. done this round before, and I, I think that you can hit it out of the park as a young, sharp guy that you are. Okay, All let's right. do it. And these are questions that deal with youth and wisdom. So here we go. The first question is, okay. what is one question you'd like an older man to answer for you? Uh, what's his greatest mistake? Oh, explain. Um, only because I think you can learn so much through failure. And so to see a guy who has been down, I guess you say, the path of life longer than I have, um, I want to know like what's his greatest mistake, either one so I can avoid it or... Two, if I come across a moment where it looks like it's going to be like a failure moment, that I can start thinking about what the ramifications long term would be for me. My greatest mistake in life is not framing my wife in a positive way in front of my children as they were being raised. I'm just telling you what that was so you have that. So when my kids are being raised, I often would frame my wife as crazy, you know, a picky, naggy. And that, that really, mm-hmm. I think, put a picture to my sons that was not honoring my wife. And so in the last seven years, I've figured that out, and it's changed everything. Mm-hmm. But how I framed her really was a big deal. So there's my biggest mistake for you. That's a freebie. I won't charge you this time. So, 
No, thank you. Thank you. No, that's good. <laughs> hey, that's number good. two, man. What's the greatest obstacle in building a lasting mentor relationship between an older and a younger guy? Oh, man, is the... Once you receive, like, some success, um, thinking that you don't need the rest of it, because I think it's very easy to go, yay, I got the victory, I got the job. Me and my wife are talking now. And when's the last time you talked to your mentor? Uh, we're good and I think sometimes that's kind of like that's like a um, um, foreshadowing of our relationship with God sometimes Oh, like and sometimes when like of need it's like God I need you need you need you need you need you need you You're in the morning prayer walking and fasting everything but once you got what you need it's kind of like whew man my goodness God I'll see you later so true man that's so true I appreciate that answer That's that's the real deal too thank you so much Next one here is, uh, what's one thing you wish you were told when you were 18? I think I was told it, but I just would say, just listen to it, man. Um, I would just say, just slow down on the girls. And I mean, we hear it, but as a guy and as you, I guess you would say, be careful of your visual, like what you see, Uh because it plays such a part of everything that pulls and drives you, um, that as a man, you know, as a young man, as a man in general, we're very visually driven. So to understand that, I guess I even learned, wish I knew it earlier than 18, is to know that, man, like what your where your your eyes go, what goes into you, man, you start to gravitate to it. And you could hinder yourself in a lot of ways if you don't understand that. Yeah. Because that... we think we're invincible at 18. Like I remember thinking, man, I'm good, man. I got this. So you know, it's funny, Keith, uh, as a Christian man for about 30 years now, I've never met a Christian man, not one man that has said, man, I'm so glad I had sex with a lot of women before I was married. I've never met a Christian man who said that. They're all saying what you're saying, man, I regret it. I've got these mental images. I've projected performance upon my wife. Uh, I struggle with lust or pornography or masturbation, but they've never said, oh, man, I'm so glad I test drove all those vehicles. Now I got the car I really want. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you don't. No, it's, yeah, so I appreciate that, man. So so I'm just going to say this right now, Keith. I think that you are young and wise, so don't take offense to this question. <laughs> okay, I'm okay. warning you. Would, <laughs> I just, would you rather be old and wise or young and crazy? I want to say old and wise. Okay. How come? Because um, young and crazy, I think you can make a lot of mistakes, and you probably wouldn't find yourself um getting to the old and wise i think when you're old and wise you can impact a lot of more people and you can start to um i guess you would say start leaving a legacy like really get into gear so to speak Uh because you're but but it's funny it's like a i think they go hand in hand because you must be young and crazy to experience being old and wise Yeah, it's interesting. Well, in chapter 11 of your book, the title of that chapter is I wish I knew that what I do today will affect my tomorrow. Which is why I wrote this question because a lot of times when we're young and crazy, we don't realize how much what we do today affects tomorrow. Could you embellish a little bit more? Yeah, I think for me, like um, just understanding that, like now, um, not having hair is, is the, uh, I guess you say, my life. And, um, but when I was younger, I really didn't understand that, you know, if I were, let's say, yell at a teacher or not have a good experience with my teacher or my mom, that affects tomorrow if I want to go to a party, 
that affects tomorrow what, what my morning you know could look like mm-hmm. you know if i'm i remember one time i um i don't know if i put it in this chapter but one chapter of the book uh my mom i felt like she was just really just being very dominant really just trying to show how you know um she was mom and i was you know her her cub so to speak and i leaned over to her one day because my mom's like five one i was like five seven five eight and i said hey are you trying to show your dominance over me and I didn't understand that I'd be going going to bed early that night. Yeah, but my mom, <laughs> my mom yelled at me. She sent me to my room, and then the next morning, you know, I'm thinking, ah, oh, man, okay, it's new school day. And my stepfather, you know, had a conversation with me. He was like, man, you can't say that to your mom. You know, like going to school, like it was my stepfather. He never spanked me or anything, mm-hmm. but like when I disappeared pointed him it, I kind of felt bad because there was no kind of idea because he didn't necessarily spank me but just the disappointment because he was there you know it's like oh man I messed up didn't I I really messed up and so as as I learned and as I wrote that chapter I just really just looked back and understood that man you know for me to have a better day tomorrow let's say whether it's in my health it means me putting down the brownies today it means me being able to be disciplined today. Mm-hmm. So tomorrow I can get some of the benefits that I want, you know, case in point, like, you know, just being able to do the podcast today, you know, I'm only able to do it because of discipline that was far beyond this, you know, being able to say, Hey, yeah, I'll go out back out to Jacksonville and, and um, be a part of, you know, the event for ISI. And so that, that turns to my today. Mm-hmm. You know, this didn't just happen. You know, I guess you would say that thought also goes into the there's no such thing as overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Benjamin Disraeli once said, uh, it took me all my life to become an overnight success. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, hey, in yeah. your in your book, uh, uh, Keith, we're still on the rapid fire round. But on your book, you wrote something in chapter two I thought was really, really powerful. Uh, I thought, first of all, Keith, you know, you wrote a book and your 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 dad your biological dad was kind of the focus in some ways. Mm-hmm. Whenever you do that, you're on the razor's edge, right? But I thought you did a good job of honoring yeah. your dad. And so you could have really blown your dad up, but you really did a good job of honoring your dad. So I thank you for that. And one of the things that you thank said you. to honor your dad, yeah, th- yeah, no problem. One of the things that you said to honor your dad was a really powerful quote. Uh, I'd never thought of this, but it is a very, very powerful quote. And you wrote this. When you say father... You are assuming the person ha- the person having the kid is an adult. What often times that man is a fifteen year old or an eighteen year old or seventeen year old. He's confused. He's lost. He's a child. He's he's a he's a male, but he's not a man. And so I thought that was really powerful. So based on that quote, I want to ask you one last rapid fire round question. If one of your children, or in twenty five years, decided to write a book about you. As their dad, what do you hope they title that book? Ooh. Oh. <clears throat> Ouch. Don't cry. Um, Don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I guess the joke would, there's usually something when I run across a man, I always call him the man, the myth, the legend. And uh, I think I would probably want my kid to title the book, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, I like that. Just because I want to be in their eyes, you know, the man, you know, who I said I was going to be the myth, you know, what most people said is not out there. 
and then the legend, the um, the aspirations to do more than whatever I did. Um, so that's yeah. really powerful, man. I really appreciate that. The man, the myth, and the legend. You know, it's funny. My kids, my sons are. 25 23 and 21 and i just spent the weekend with two of them hunting uh, wild turkeys but it was you know i i walked away from that event going you know success as a dad for me is that my kids would respect me more as adults than when they when I, they were children because they're children i'm kind of the superhero but as a yep. as an adult as a 53 year old adult and with adult sons now they see my flaws they see my problems mm-hmm. my issues i talk to them about my sin and my struggles and the hope would be that even after that, in spite of all that, they would look back, right, and say, the man, the myth, the legend. So I really appreciate that, man. You really are wise beyond your years, man. So thank you so much. No, thank you. Hey, so I want to jump into this interview, buddy. So, hey, our guys are listening, going, okay, Keith, call. who is this guy? Where'd you find this guy? You know, we met in Florida, Jacksonville at Iron Sharpens Iron event. You were the guy right across from me and uh, really did appreciate uh, the book that you've written and, and uh, just how you carried yourself at that event. But in five minutes, can you tell our listeners uh, anything about you that you think would be pertinent to this interview, uh, hobbies, uh, things you enjoy, uh, just a little bit more about yourself? Okay. Um, originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, grew up um, majority of my childhood, single family, um, single parent um, by my mom. Um, love sports. Um, I am a Falcons fan. Um, that's just the city I was raised in. Yep, so, yep, yep. um, I'm still mourning the loss to the Eagles, which were about two or three years ago. So not the pa- you got ever... over the Patriots. You got over the Patriots. You know loss? What? No, no, I'm not. That's <laughs> the one I was talking to, but we've been beat like so many times. These last <laughs> it's like, who hit me? Which one of y'all hit me? Yeah. So that's where we're at with that. Um, I have two beautiful boys. Um, and I live in South Florida, been in a nonprofit arena for, I guess, the last seven, eight years. Um, man, I love life, man. want to really squeeze it for everything that God has for me. Um, I did not always have that perspective. Um, we really developed it in college. And, uh, man, I just really want to just open the door and, um, I guess you say, go after my greatness so it can open the door for other men. Mm. Uh, I really believe that everything rises and falls on male leadership. And as you so um, bestly put it, when men get it, everyone wins. So um, I really think that's true in any arena, in every aspect. Yeah. That's really, yeah, I, I just had a friend of mine, um, Jeff Both. He wrote a book called Cave Time. And he says in that book, as man goes, so society goes. And you wrote something very similar in your book. And I thought, oh, that's wonderful. I love that phrase because I think you're right. As a man goes, so goes the family, so goes the community, so goes the county, so goes the city, goes the city state, continues on. So good stuff. Hey, man, I'm holding your book here, uh, Fatherless, What I Wish I Knew When I Was a Young Boy. What's your why behind this book, man? I mean, what, what was the passion that drove you to write this book? Why this book as your first book? Oh, man. Um, first off, I prayed for like three years and asked God to, because I wanted to start like my own business. I wanted to start something and do something big uh, for the world. Um, Miles Monroe once said that um, the wealthiest place on earth is the graveyard, because inside of the graveyard is people who have songs that have never been sung, um, their dreams that have never been fulfilled. And so that's never been there. You know, because, you know, it's in the graveyard. The world will never see it. And he said, if you pass through this life without having any major contribution, you are a generational thief. 
And uh, I was like, man, I want to leave something to this world. And my biggest pain and my biggest passion, um, my biggest pain is to see fathers not step up and really do what it is that they're supposed to do. And the ramifications of that is hurt young men, you know, searching for themselves. And I remember, you know, my pain and I remember figuring out where that pain came from. Mm. And so the book was a book. If my sons were not here, like, or any young man, what would it be that you would give them that would start the process of them changing their lives? And so I thought of this book and really just laid it out pretty much everything that I would want to tell my boys if, in the absence of me being here on this earth. Man, can you can you do me a favor? Tell us who Miles Monroe is and can you requote him? That was beautiful. Okay. Okay. Um, Miles Monroe is a Bahamian pastor um, who I, man, have received tons of wisdom for. Um, I had the privilege one time without even knowing it to have lunch with his daughter um, here in Florida. But uh, he's a Bahamian pastor who really, um, I guess you say, looks at the Bible in a different way. Um, usually people see the Bible as just a, a, a collection of books, but he really sees it as a um, a, um, a legal document um, that talks about a king reclaiming his kingdom or reestablishing a colony on earth. And uh, he talks about how God is a king. And because us in our Western society don't understand kingship, we sometimes misinterpret the Bible or we don't uh. understand it in full in fullness. Because he said um, when he was under a kingship, when he woke up in the morning and drunk water, he would say, thank you, Lord, for this water. Because he understand as a king, a king owns everything. There's no debate. You can't vote a man or anything like that. It's just he's owner. You know, so when he woke up, he said, thank you. Lord for the water. And for us as Americans, like we think we created the things. We think that we did things. And so when it's like not understanding that it's all God. So when his quote was the most wealthiest place on earth is the graveyard, because in the graveyard, there are songs that have not been sung, businesses that have never been started. And there are also um, dreams that have never been fulfilled. And it says, if you leave this earth without making any major contribution, you are a generational thief. Wow. And um, I tie that in to <laughs> <laughs> I tie that into the um, there's the story of talents and yep. the story of talents when, you know, someone got like four, someone got like two and someone got one. And in my head, you know, that's where I've been wanting to do everything that God has for me or discover everything that God has for me is because I want to be able to, man, just get that well done, my good and faithful servant and grab everything that he has. And that necessarily doesn't mean finances. That means just life experiences that might, that mean joy, that might mean aha moments that I get to witness. Um, so I'm sorry, that was a little bit longer than no, you probably well, you wanted. Know, but. No, that's so good, Keith, because I think the greatest tragedy on this planet is for a man to die with untapped potential. You know, for a man to die with with more in his tank. You know, it's like have your you know when you're a young guy playing sports, you know when you you knew at the end of the game if you if you had any energy left in your tank. And that, that those are the games you realize you failed your team. And I when you yep. talk about the parable of the talents, right? I want uh, I want all of our men in the arena to scratch and claw and bleed and cry and sweat and suffer pain and tragedy and hurt and heartache and wounds and suffer and 
and all of these things because when they scratch and claw their way into the kingdom, I'm not saying they have to work to be saved. I'm not saying that. We are saved to serve. We are created in Christ to do good works, which Christ Jesus prepared in advance for us to do, right? But when that man finally dies and his last breath crosses over into heaven and reaches up and grabs a hold of a foot with a nail scar in it, and when he grabs his other hand and grabs that other leg and crawls up the body and looks Jesus in the eye, I want Jesus to say to every man listening to this podcast, well done, good and faithful servant. The greatest thing, that the greatest tragedy would be for Jesus to look me in the eye and say, you had something left in the tank. And as a yep. king, as a king, our society, we put so much grace on, you know, grace, 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 grace. But as a king... He has all of the authority to say that to me. Jim, you're in, baby. However, I gave you 10 talents and you used eight. What a tragedy, right? What a tragedy. Yeah. So so you just inspired me, man. I'm so fired up right now. I'm going to pull that quote <laughs> off this podcast. I'm going to write a blog about that, man. And what's and the name of that book? Miles Monroe. It's not, was it in a book? Um, he's wrote multiple books, but that was just a quote by him. Yeah, we'll just yeah, get I the quote. That. Yeah, we'll just get the quote. I can't afford to read another book right now. I'm doing like seven books. <laughs> I'm going to order. Five I'm reading more seven books. books a month you know for this podcast. <laughs> there's, oh man, there's. So, it's so funny you mentioned that. Um, I was listening to something Miles Monroe um said one time, and he was talking about the value of mentorship. And a young man was like, "Man, um, Miles, you, you know, it was this mentee. He was like, "Man, you just spent about two to three hundred dollars worth of books," and he's like. <laughs> And, um, and that's why I'm the mentor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I was sitting there talking to my son last night. We were, we were hanging out and, and, uh, I've got two, I got three sons that are very driven. Right. And, uh, one of my sons mm-hmm. said, well, dad, I want to be a man of excellence. I don't want to be a man of mediocrity. He goes, I go to bed at night praying that I'll never be a man of mediocrity. I said, well, if you want to be a man who is excellent, a man who does what mediocre men don't do, don't do, then you've got to do things that nobody else is doing. When all your, yep. all, when all your millennial friends are playing video games, you're reading books. When all your millennial friends are sleeping until 10, you get up at five and work out and pray and read your Bible. Do something different. That's, that's how you get there, which I really appreciate your quote in your book that leaders are learners, or did you say leaders are readers? One of those two things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So good, man. So, hey, if a guy could only read one chapter of your book, and in your book you have, I think it's 13 different things that you learned. Um, Let me look here. Yeah, uh, chapter 13. I think you had 12 things you wish you had learned as a young man. What is the one chapter that you think men have to read when it comes to your book? Um, Unlimited Potential. Really? Okay. Yeah. And I say that because there's so many men that are walking around that are um that are um scarred, I guess you would say, in so many ways, yeah. whether it's life, you know, whether it's you know, their own doing mentally through their own, you know, frustrations and things like that. And I just need all of them to know that, man, you're not your past, um, that there's more inside of you that that no matter what happens, you know, there's a God who loves you and he sees you in perfection. He sees you as what he had in mind when he first, um, put you together. Um, sometimes when I get a chance to speak to men, I always, one of my famous, um, I guess I call it my famous, but one of my, um, 
my talks is you're the picture of the model man. Like most of the time mm. we put this picture of this guy with a six pack abs, you know, in my case, wavy hair, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, amazing beard. And, um, you know, and like we have this picture of what this model man looks like when God has given you the family that you need. He's giving you the job that you have been given. He's giving you the opportunity and the talents that you have. And it's up to us to discover it. It's up to us to pull it out. It's up to us to um, take his word and struggle with it and apply mm -hmm. it. And um, I think it's just so important for men to to understand that, man, because, man, if I know that I have unlimited potential and the light bulb goes off, man, like we said, everything else changes. And there's so many men that I've come across that are hurt that are like little boys, you know, and they have men responsibility, a grown man, adult responsibilities, but they're still childlike in their mentality. And they still haven't had someone to say, Hey, I love you. Yeah. You know, I think of some guys who are waiting for their dads to say, I love them. And their dads have passed on, you know, they're still searching for that approval. So. Yeah. 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 I, I really like that, man. Well, speaking of family and speaking of having responsibility on page 12 in your book, you wrote this as a father, it is our responsibility as the spiritual head of the household to instill godly principles into the family through our actions and leadership. A father, you continue. You continue here. A father modeling faith sets up, sets up a solid foundation for a family to be blessed for generations. We have a lot of guys that are confused by the term spiritual leadership or leadership in their family. A lot, a lot of confusion around that phrase, Keith. I thought you unpacked it really well here. Can you embellish on that statement? Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think like leadership sometimes get caught up. Um, I think I wrote in the book as well um, that leadership is like, hey, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing because I said it. I'm the head. I wear the pants, you know, and it's not the leadership that makes people want to follow you. Uh, John Maxwell said, if you think you're a leader and no one's following you, you're going for a walk. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't want my family to just, um, I don't want to be just going for a walk and my family not following me. So when I think of the spiritual head, I think of, you know, me praying for my kids, um, praying at night, um, in the daytime, you know, whether it's, you know, being able to lead the conversations you know, speaking in life into situations that we might encounter, whether it's a movie, you know, uh, I think the new adventure just came out, you know, as a father, you know, if I go and watch that with my kid, that's cool. That's a great experience. But if we don't bring any conversation and if I can't bring that to where what biblical, you know, presidents can we take away from that or things we see, you know, as we're passing traffic, as we, you know, encountering the day, you know, that's leading, you know, Jesus discipled his people through life, you know, and, you know, my pastor at our church, um, Pastor Troy Gramling, he said, you know, he wasn't, he said to, um, to the congregation, you know, I wasn't the pastor that, you know, or the dad that every morning had a devotional with his kids. He was like, but I was able to teach life situations when it happened, you know, and, and kind of expound upon it. And I think that's important for me as a dad, because one of the biggest things, uh, you know, I want is my child to be able to at any given moment to be OK with their faith and know what it is and why it is and not be ashamed to pray over their food, not be ashamed to see someone, you know, an ambulance passing by 
and stop and say a prayer for the people that's in the ambulance. You know, all of those are things that I think lays a foundation for when I'm not around that he remembers. Um, my dad used to say this to me and I never understood it until I got older, you know, um, because my mom would be like, hey, you know, he needs, you know, money for clothing or whatever. You know, when you have a, your mom and dad are not together, you kind of have those you know, hey, he needs school clothes. Oh, well, I gave him money two weeks ago. What's that money for? You know, and uh, my dad would say, son, I might not have all the money in the world, but the best thing I can do is tell you who God is. Mm. I was like, yeah, but I want five dollars, though. Can I get the five? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but that's that's big. I remember my dad, you know, challenging me to read the Bible, having me to read the Bible. And my younger brother could read better than me and, you know, was more willing to read the, you know, the Bible at the time because he wanted to show off his reading ability, you know, and me being all insecure, you know, during that time. But now that I look back, man, that laid the foundation for pieces of who I am, you know. And so, yeah, that's that's part of all of that. And one last thing in terms of spiritual head, um, you know, I had, you know, as we lead our families, I think about the wives, you know, it's important for us as husbands to see what our parents, our wives are watching you know, just like our kids, yeah. you know, and ask questions and engage, but do the same thing for our wives. You know, I, you know, me and my wife, we had a time where, you know, I had to intervene on things that she was watching on TV because I saw how it affected her and her ability to love herself. And so as husbands, when I think of the overall protector, it's not just a physical protection, it's a protection of the mental as well too. And there's other aspects too that I put inside of the book. But if I'm protecting my woman's mental, you know, whether it's friends that she's associating with, you, you know, and that's that's a, you know, that's skating on thin ice in some relationships. Mm -hmm. But it's truthfully and it's honest because that's the bedrock of everything else. Mm -hmm. When I'm not around the next, you know, command piece, you know, outside of God is my wife. And I want my wife to be able to to echo the same things or be influencing my kids in the same way you know i don't want to speak about god 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 and then she speaks about ah we ain't doing that when i'm not around you know so if i'm praying over the food i want her to pray over the food when i'm not there you know so yeah that, that's really good we're going to take a short break hear from our sponsor we'll be right back at you in a second the men in the arena is a nonprofit organization with a mission to help men become their best version and change their world the war to change your world is epic Every battle counts, and every man in the arena matters. Our closed Facebook forum for men, appropriately called Men in the Arena, is a great way for you to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Hey, because of my passion to see men get out of the bleachers into the arena, I want to offer a free resource to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email. We'll send you a PDF copy of the field guide. This is my 365-day bathroom book for men. It's a study of manly words in the Bible illustrated with great stories. This is a great resource for all of our arena men. Guys, you're going to love this book. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those in the anonymous bleachers pleading for you to get in the arena today? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. Well, you know, Keith, that's really good. You know, in our curriculum, we wrote uh, a five-book series for men in small groups called the Man Card Series. And book one, The Trailhead, we talk about 10 marriage-saving guardrails that a guy should establish to protect his marriage. The last guardrail is... 
Never assume your wife is living by your guardrail standards. Always be engaged. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, because there, are, my wife and I have had some conversations about, hey, I don't think this friend really lifts you up. I don't think this friend is, is the best for you. And my wife actually has shifted her friendships because, not because I told her to, but hey, I don't know about you, man, but you, I tell my wife to do something. That's that's the exact way I get her to not do something, you know. And so, uh, just having this conversation, she's actually changed several friendships when she realizes my husband loves me, and this person is not the best for me. And, and then, you know, women on social media, women on television, these television shows, yeah. you know, po- you know, political stuff. You know, we really need to guard our wives and protect them. And I think part of the leadership, you hit the nail on the head, is going, "Hey, honey." I don't think this is really benefiting you or us or God or the children, and and I think that's really good, man. So I appreciate that. Hey, on page eight of your book, you're talking about again spiritual leadership. You said something powerful, and I want you to embellish on this quote. You said, "You can be present and have no influence on your family." Yes, um, I think of um, most of the men on the podcast. I would say are are working, are yeah. working men, and I think of the boss the boss who comes in the room and he's deemed the leader, but when he leaves, no one cares what he says. You know, no one's trying to really follow him. There's still that one person in the room that everybody looks to because they see that person as the leader. And, um, and I think sometimes that goes into, you know, having a house that's like a dictatorship. Um, I think it's important too, because you just recently mentioned that you had a conversation with your wife. That conversation doesn't happen and isn't received if you're not having conversation with her naturally, if you're not having that back and forth communication, and that then allows you to be able to have influence. And um, Maxwell put it best. He said that, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so it's very important for both, you know, you and I, as we lead to be present, but be present in a way to where we're engaging. Um, I heard of active listening to where when you're listening to your kid's day, you're asking questions and you're you're probing. I think it's like you're courting almost. Every day you're courting your kids or you're courting your spouse to really get into like, you know, what were your what were you thinking when this person told you that? Or how does that look, you know, when this did you care about what anybody was thinking? And you know, there's days where you're gonna have amazing conversation. And there's gonna be days where it's gonna be like, how was school? Good. What else happened? Nothing. Nothing. How you feeling? You know, so, fine. Fine. <laughs> and so it's so important to be able to just do those things because it's in doing those things that we, when big times happen, they know one that you're going to listen because you listen in the small things or you listen to the things that didn't seem significant for you. But because it was me, you cared. Um, it's funny because um, I remember one time, uh, I don't know how it was, but. I was listening to a podcast and I was talking about the toilet tissue. My wife likes the toilet tissue a certain way. I didn't know that the toilet tissue, you should pull it down as opposed to having to pull it up. So she likes pulling it down and I'm sitting there and one day I'm putting on the roll and I'm like, man, why does this even matter? You know, I can see my sons asking, why does this matter? And, um, you know, in my head, I'm like, it really doesn't matter, but it matters to mom. So therefore it matters to me. And so when I put the toilet tissue on the roll, I put it on the top so it pulls down as opposed to the, you know, it just dangling. But I think like by me doing that and by me understanding that in the dark place when no one sees 
in the light when it's time to have conversation and when it's time to lead my family on the decision, there's a, a buy-in because you care for me in the small things. You can, I can listen to you in the big things. Yeah, and what you're doing there with that toilet paper roll is you're telling your you're framing your wife in a real positive manner. What you're telling your kids is, I'm doing this not because your mom is a nag if I don't. I'm doing this because I love your mother and I want to honor her, and she likes it this way. And it's not a big deal to her, but because she likes it this way, it's a big deal to me because I love your wife. She's the most, your mom, she's the most important person on the planet to me. And now you've just framed her in a positive way instead of negatively making her look like a nag or a, a person who struggles with minutia stuff. And so that that's really positive, man. So I appreciate that. Hey, on, on in chapter five, your title of that chapter is called, I Wish I Knew That My Faith Charts the Course of My Life. And when you talked about your earlier chapter on unlimited potential, I think you and I would both agree that those two work together. They are not mutually exclusive. If you want to become your best version and reach your best potential, how will you ever do it apart from complete and radical devotion to the God who put you on this planet and created you? You quoted a C.S. Lewis on page 53, which I actually pulled that quote out of my book, out of your book, and I'm going to write a blog about it. It was so powerful. I've never heard this quote before. And C.S. Lewis wrote, and you quoted this, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. And so t- walk with me through this, this uh, epiphany that you had that your faith charts the course of your life. Um, I, I thought about like when I was younger, like at first, you know, when I heard of God and when I thought of God, you know, um, it was almost like the, I guess you say the traditional concept of God being this kid with a magnifying glass and we're little ants, you know? And, um, you know, I thought that, you know, at every moment or every turn, you know, I'm disappointing him or I need to have the right amount of acts, you know, do the right thing. And if I'm not doing the right thing, I disappoint him. And because I disappoint him, my life won't happen. It won't be good, you know. And, um, you know, I put him in a box. I started to, you know, not really include him for the things that I wanted to send in and the things that, you know, my flesh wanted to keep going, whether it's arguing, whether it's pornography, whether it's, you know, lustful spirit, you know, I didn't put God in that box. And, and I saw him as this killjoy, mm-hmm. I guess you would say, mm-hmm. because he wanted to take things away from me that I thought was good, you know, and with that, you hide from him. You know, you, you don't necessarily understand the freedom that you do get when you understand who he really is, so to speak. And so it took some time for me to really explore and really dive in and have like a honest conversation, you know, with people around me, do some research on my own. And, you know, really, I guess you would say, as David said, taste and see that the Lord is good, you know, and it, and it took me the tasting. It took me experiencing life and seeing, you know, that God's hand was interwoven in every point or every part of my life Mm -hmm. which is hard for us guys because we do compartmentalize our lives and so women Mm -hmm. i think and i think that in the church it's filled with a lot you know mostly women generally more women and i think women resonate with faith because it does interweave uh with our life Mm -hmm. where men we tend to compartmentalize and what we do is we have our god box and i i thought that was really good you said when we put god in a box we hide from him and, and that's exactly what Adam and Eve did when they sinned. 
they hid from God. And so we, we you know, for a man to become his best version in Christ, if if you want to talk about, uh, you know, uh, like our, our our life is like a waffle. We have all these little compartments. God is like the syrup. You know, he's over the whole thing and saturates every part of our life. And so that's what he wants, right? He doesn't want to be a part of our life. He doesn't want to be a part of a compartment. He wants to be in every box of our life. And so that yeah. that's really powerful, man. I And I, I love the C.S. Lewis, in spite of my moods, you know, in spite of yeah. what I feel. <laughs> I don't feel there's a movement today with the younger generation. Well, I don't feel God. Well, so what? So what? Yeah. He's still there. You still need to serve him. You still need to obey. You still need to pursue him. You know, uh, sometimes you feel God, sometimes you don't. But so what? <laughs> it doesn't change who God yeah. is. <laughs> so, yep. Man, hey, okay, so I've got one little I, – I, I found a couple little typos if you ever want – because I'm always looking for typos because I have tons in my books. But uh, in Chapter mm-hmm. 8, you had your chapter title, I, I scratched it out. I'm not going to lie. And, 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 I'm, okay. and so I'm not being disrespectful. I've just got this mm-hmm. pet peeve, and I'm going to share it with you. I think you're going to go, oh, I, I agree 100%. So chapter eight's title was, I wish I knew that being a male came with so much responsibility. And I just scratched out male because I don't think there's any responsibility that comes with being a male. But I think when you decide to be a man, it comes with a lot of responsibility. And so there are a lot of males out there. There are 24 million children will go to bed tonight without a dad in the house. And I think a man does accept that responsibility and carries that heavy burden and oftentimes, you, you actually did a lot, you did a, a good job in your book to honor your stepdad, who in, in a lot of ways carried a, a, par, a part of a mantle that your dad couldn't carry because of the divorce. And so I really appreciated that, that you did uh, lift up your stepdad and say, this is a man as well. So can you talk to me about this, uh, this deal with men and responsibility and how this is a heavy weight as a man? Yeah, I... um. Man, I just think of just life and just even like my current situation and as I'm, you know, um, going through the process of developing, you know, my business and um, putting the book together and just just really going after everything that I believe God has laid on me and my family's heart, you know, that there's a weight or responsibility to still, you know, I guess make ends meet. There's a a sense of, you know, if I am the head and I understand that, you know, I I am the head giving the responsibility through God, then everything is my fault. Mm. You know, like, you know, where this family is, what we're doing, I play a part, whether, you know, the room, if I don't like the order of the room, either I said yes to it. Or I didn't have any opinion to it. And because I didn't have an opinion, I was, um, uh, what's the word? Um, you, not assert, passive. Yes. And if I was passive, then this is, this is it. And when I think of the responsibility of a man or, you know, as I put in a male, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, as, as I think of the responsibility, there's a weight that's naturally looked upon us that some of us are aware of and we don't even know it. You know, like the young man is in the relationship with the girl for the first time and she he's the first male figure that stepped into this young lady's life. He doesn't know that he really charts the course to the relationship. Like he decides if they have sex, if they don't. 
You know, he decides if, you know, he's going to mess with her self-image by how he talks to, talks about her to other young men. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's so, and he doesn't know that. He's just thinking, man, I'm just going to brag to, you know what I'm saying, to my boys, <laughs> yep. you know. And then when you think of the guy who is, who who marries the young lady, now he has the responsibility of him and her becoming one. So there's no more this selfishness of him being who he is and only living for himself. Yeah. And it's, it's big because, um, you know, as men, I think we sometimes forget it, but women, I think they know it since birth almost, which is crazy because my wife, you know, she understands her mother's role and she gets these motherly instincts and it seems as if it just comes natural to her. And she says, it's not. I have to learn to be a mom. I have to know that, you know, um, that my kids are first priority outside of myself eating. You know, my wife breastfed for both her kids. And there, there were times where I would watch her literally feed the kids without eating herself. And I'm like, how are you doing that? Like for me, I love my son. But, man, I usually fix me a plate first. Then I'm like, you hungry? <laughs> you know? <laughs> But it's but that's but that's just the difference between us and as men and women. And but that responsibility once recognized, you understand like, man, there is a big weight to it. Now you can be obliv oblivious to it and not understand it and not see it. And then therefore it's not a weight in your eyes because you're like, oh, what do you mean, man? I, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't see the weight in this. This is easy. But when you really understand that this young man who's my son, how I treat his mom affects the woman that he's going to eventually marry or date if it, it's going to affect his teacher it's going to affect the um law enforcement in the area it's going to affect how he interact with ten thousand people throughout the course of his life mm -hmm. because they say on average the average person get a chance to influence or impact ten thousand people oh. hmm. never heard that all right like that's crazy so if i'm if i see that now now there's a really big weight to it but the weight is cool, though, once we understand that God is there to help us. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, Keith. If, you know, I've got guys I know in my life who are guys my age who have never been married mm -hmm. or they've been married, never had children. They look mm -hmm. younger. They act younger. They're more selfish. They're, they don't they, because they've never carried the heavy load of manhood. I'm not saying that if you're single, you're not a man. I'm not saying if you don't have kids, you're not a man. I'm just saying... These men have not carried as heavy of a load because when you're married, you carry a heavier burden than when you're not married. When you have a family and a wife to lead, you carry a heavier burden than the man who does not have a ch have children. And so you, we see that in their faces. We see that in their wrinkles. We see that in their longevity. We see that over and over again. And, and I, I know you like John Maxwell. I'm a big Maxwell fan too. And Maxwell yeah. said, you can delegate everything accept final responsibility and that is so true for a man and so um I, I really do appreciate that so chapter 10 again I you, all of your chapters started off with i wish i knew that and i, I loved i just want to say i wish i knew that reading would change my world and i really wish our guys would get that uh guys who are listening today they're they're they're, they're a, they want to grow and thrive in the bubble because they're listening to the podcast but there is a power in reading that you don't get from a podcast can you explain that yeah, um, man, uh, I remember picking up like my first books in like college or whatever. And um, a guy 
who was in life where I wanted to be further down the road, successful from, you know, the world standard. And I also saw he had a good marriage and uh, he had a relationship with God. He said, you know, um, books have the ability to um, you can take someone's entire life story and put it in a book. Like the book that I what fatherless, it's 31 years of knowledge, wisdom, failure, successes, mistakes. And you can get it for what, under 20 bucks? Like my whole entire life, the things that has made me successful, has made me win, made me lose, it's in a book. And um, someone told me, never let a book defeat you. Yeah, I like that. Because here's, here's the thing. You and I, I can argue with you all day. But if you were at home and you're reading a book, the worst thing you can do is throw the book, you know, to the other side of the room yeah. or not read it at all. Because once you read something, it's just you in those pages. Yeah. And here's the cool part, the funny part that I love, too. Books are so powerful and reading is so powerful. God could have had any other medium to communicate to his kids. But what did he do? He left his word, his physical word in the Bible. And the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. So much so, it's not even on the New York Times bestseller because they just wrote it off because it's always there. Because it crushed and- everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love it. I, I call it a library. It's at 66 books. It ca- pushed down into one book. It, there's no other book like it. I mean, I believe a man should read the Word and know it better than anybody else in his family. Uh, a man, there's no excuse for a godly man to not be in the Word. There's just none. There are so many translations and paraphrases out there. Right now, I'm doing the one-year Bible in, in the New Living Translation. I have my New American Standard as my study Bible. Then I'm reading Gene Getz's Life Essentials Bible. It's Home and Christian Standard Bible, which is a beautiful uh, translation, and uh, going through that with his material. And so th- there's so many opportunities out there as men. We just need to be in the Word. And I, I love what you wrote in your book. I, and I, I've heard it before. Leaders are readers. Leaders are readers. So, hey, I, I saved this last uh, this last chapter of the book. Of all your chapters, this one took me off guard, and I really resonated with it. Uh, I hadn't thought about the power behind the title, and I do want to ask you to embellish upon it. I thought this was so powerful, Keith. That this that you wrote about this chapter thirteen is titled this. And, and, and before I tell the readers this. When I see men falter, when I see men fall in moral failure, it, it, it often is not a heart issue, It's some, or it can become a heart issue, but it started up here in the head, and it moved down, or it started here in the head, and it, it led to stupid decisions, and there's so much, and, and as I watch guys that just kind of get in the bubble, and they, they explode, or they kind of fizzle out, or they you know, implode, you know, there's, a, there's such a huge component to our life when it comes to the mental game. The mental game. And you wrote in your book, chapter 13, your last chapter, you said, I wish I knew that taking care of my mental health mattered. What? What? Talk to us. What, what have you discovered about your mental health, and how do you personally take care of your mental health? Oh, man, you know what's so funny? Um, when I had someone to first, like, edit the book, they put mental health, and I think I put fitness mattered, and they oh, really? changed it to mental health. Yeah. And so I rolled with it and in the process of editing the book, in the process of um, just society, it has came into like one of those things that is big in terms of 
people saying mental health or using the term mental health. And I was like, wow, I had no idea that it was, you know, such that big of a thing. But I understand for me, um, one way that um, I take care of my mental health is through journaling. And um, and I'm an avid journaler. Um, Over these last two weeks, I will be honest, I have not journaled. Um, I just recently started a new job and uh, it has been um, I'm just trying to get my bearings right with everything, with the schedule and time. Oh, (laughs) with schedule and time changing and things like that. But um, but journaling is something that I knew when I first moved to Florida or getting around people, you know, who were in life where I wanted to be that could pour into me in terms of mentorship and things like that. Because once you can listen and hear from other people who've been in life where you want it to be, um, it gives you somewhat peace. It gives you some sense of expectation. Um, I think it's in John 10, 10, where, you know, when Jesus said, it says, um, in this life, you will have troubles, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And um, it gives you peace because you can know what to expect. And so for me, you know, being able to journal, being able to write out my thoughts when I'm frustrated, you know, when I'm excited, when major things happen to me, it gives me a way to kind of deal with the ebbs and flows, you know, Um, because we were talking about the C.S. Lewis quote earlier in terms of faith. It gives me um, a sense of peace. And I think of um, David, when David battled Goliath, he started recalling everything that God has done for him. And one of the ways that I believe he was able to call the details and the animals in which, you know, he was able to conquer is I think he kept the journal. I think he was writing, you know, about what it was that was going on because if you're sitting there with sheep the whole entire time, they're just going bad, you know, (laughs) next thing you know, you fight off, you know, a bear, a lion or whatever. But um, I think the way to keep fresh in his mind, what has happened came through journaling. And uh, in ministry, I've journaled major wins because there was a time in ministry where, you know, I almost quit prematurely. And it was because I wasn't taking care of myself mentally. I wasn't spending time in my word. I wasn't spending time with God, allowing him to refresh and restore me on a daily basis. And when you're not doing that, even some of the simplest things can become so challenging that you're unwilling to go through it. And so working out, getting a chance to, you know, just get some type of movement for 30 minutes or so a day, uh, being able to read and refresh and challenge the brain. You know, those are things or those are steps that allow you to be able to be at peace. And it allows you to have a step above or an an edge on people you encounter and um, just life obstacles, I believe. Yeah, you just mentioned several things for mental health. And I'm just going to go back and review them. You talked about prayer reading the Bible, working out, reading books, journaling, and then what you didn't mention but we've talked about already is having a mentor, somebody who's gone ahead of you to, to push you forward. And, and uh, you know, it's funny, you, you know, you, you had wanted to title that your physical health, but if you can get your mental health in order, your physical health comes along, right? Because I've, I've wrestled with my weight all my life, and the number one problem with my mental, with my physical health is this thing between my ears, yeah, and so that it's so powerful for men that we have to, in the to get a grip on what's going on up here and to make sure we and that also I think we could add healthy relationships because toxic yeah. relationships will 
will create a toxicity toxicity between the brain that will really really uh, do tremendous damage and so hey keith man we, we gosh we're out of time already oh, i'm kind of depressed about geez. this i've really enjoyed having you on the show hey how can our men in the arena uh get a hold of you and pick up your resources uh, man, I would say going to my website, uh, which is KeithCollins360.com. That's KeithCollins360.com. Um, there it has everything, my social media, my YouTube channel, everything. Man, I appreciate that. And I know you did uh, – I've been following your uh, YouTube channel. You actually have posted a video for each of the chapters of your book so the men can actually go and kind of listen to your heart in real time about those chapters. So, hey, Keith, man, thanks so much for uh, – for uh, bearing with us in the Florida heat there in your car and getting on the show, buddy. <laughs> Thanks so much for being a man of uh, wisdom and a man in the arena yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me and, and being a part, man. It's been an honor. Hey, it's been great, man. Hey, so guys, let's get our boots on the ground here. What's the next step? What can you do to get your books on the ground and to take the appropriate measures because of what you heard today? What will you do because of this show today? So here is our boots on the ground moment for you. We believe leaders are readers, and if you're a man, you are a leader. So guys, I want you to find one book on manhood and read it. So Keith has done something pretty cool today. If you go to keithcollins.360.com, am I right there, Keith? It's keithcollins360. Oh, I'm sorry, keithcollins360.com. Under and you go under contacts on that website, you can find uh, his uh, con- his contact information. We'll provide a hyperlink to that also on our equipping blast. We uh, send this podcast out. Keith will give the first two guys that respond with men in the arena in the subject line. He will send you uh, a free copy of his book. So just go send him an email, men in the arena in the subject line, and he will send you two free books. Also, guys, you can hit up our website and pick up my latest book, The Man Card, Five Characteristics Separating Men for Boys, a short book, easy read. Love to have you do that, guys. Also, guys, we will post the boots on the ground action item in our weekly equipping blast you can subscribe to at meninthearena.org when you grab a free copy of our 365-day bathroom book for men. Hey, make sure you head on over to our Facebook page and join the Men in the Arena Facebook forum with men from 86 nations around the world as they interact daily. Guys, did you know that the Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowd-funded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version? Because of a large group of generous donors like you, we're able to freely offer our podcast, weekly equipping blast discussion forums, plus our small group resources for missionaries and men in underdeveloped nations. That's huge. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at manandarena.org. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. Leaders are readers. And be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. In our passion to help all arena men, we're offering an excellent free resource when you visit our homepage at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of Jim's book for men called The Field Guide, a bathroom book for men. It's a daily study of manly words in the Bible explained with great stories. Thank you for listening to this episode, the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, thank you for joining men in the arena from around the world who are becoming their best version. And remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. 
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.